Coronavirus NZ, a daily stuff podcast. Look, a bit embarrassing, but this is important. We've got an apology to read out. The Coronavirus NZ podcast wishes to unreservedly apologise to Max Ferguson Dudding. Yesterday, we suggested that Max wheeze willy nilly on the kitchen floor. This was a wholly unfair statement, and we apologise. Yeah, poor old Max. There were some stern representations to the podcast from his Marangi Bay humans about that line. He's our elderly dog, and in fact, he can't really help it that he wheezes on the kitchen floor. This is not because he's a naughty boy. Yeah, sorry, Max. Good boy. Anyway, welcome to Coronavirus NZ for Friday the 8th of May. I'm Adam Dudding. And I'm Eugene Bingham. Each day we bring you the main headlines, take a look at some of the more unusual things, and then zoom in, ha, for a closer look at something in particular. You're looking a bit fancy there, Adam. Not too shabby yourself, Eugene. Well, a promise is a promise. Having negotiated with Hilary Barry that if she gargled the theme tune to Star Trek on the show earlier in the week, we'd join in formal Friday today. So... We thought it only right to put on a suit and tie. And it's all for good cause too. It's to raise money, former Friday in general, for the aunties who do great work helping those dealing with domestic violence. Yeah, and I like how you've even combed your hair today, Adam. Anyway, I was wondering, is it okay to be starting to find the 1pm press conferences a bit boring? I think it is okay. It's almost a good thing, isn't it? That on the health front, at least, there's often not much new to report. But I reckon some of the, uh, the the fading excitement that you might have felt today is to do with the cast. Remember, Friday is always the day when Ashley Bloomfield and Jacinda Ardern take a break from the presses. So I was just thinking about it before. Tuning in for the press conference and realising that it's Grant Robertson, it's a bit like checking your podcast feed for the latest BBC News quiz and realising it's an episode of The Now Show. The Now Show. I don't know if this is important enough to talk about, but uh, the bar is low on this show um (laughs) (laughs) but i had a leftover roast potato this morning just around about 11 o'clock yeah you know just when we break for tea and it made me get all nostalgic uh yeah no actually forget it forget it later on the show hey nostalgic for what oh nothing 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 hang on it wasn't thank you big potato was it (sighs) yes yes and and i knew you'd do that. Right. Later on the show, National Correspondent Steve Kilgallen pours himself an IPA and joins us to discuss the country's drinking habits. We all saw those queues of people lining up to panic buy spirits in the days before lockdown. But what happened next? Actually, who writes this stuff? I presume they drank it, didn't they? Well, you say that, but Steve explains how lockdown will change our drinking habits. Okay, okay. But first, what's happened today? There were two new confirmed cases today. One is a nurse linked to the St Margaret's Hospital in Auckland. That's one of the clusters, remember, out west. She'd been looking after rest home patients, but has recently been in self-isolation. The other new case is an old case. Bear with me on this one. It was a case that was previously being treated as a probable, and I guess testing has proved that it's now confirmed. Students at the University of Auckland will have their grades scaled up because of the disruptions of coronavirus. Academic Vice-Chancellor John Morrow announced that final grades for this semester will be scaled up by one step. Universities can reopen at Alert Level 2, however many institutions will continue to teach online until at least July, regardless of the Alert Level. And more than a 1,000 people a day went on a benefit last month as COVID-19 bit. 
Ministry of Social Development numbers released today indicate a huge acceleration in jobless numbers in April. I guess that's not surprising, we kind of knew that, but it's still sobering to see the actual numbers. So what we've seen over the last few months is an enormous communication job, really, and at the helm has been Jacinda Ardern, who has a communications degree. So we were kind of interested in talking to someone about how good a job she's done at talking us through these changes and the stress and getting New Zealanders to comply, really. So Sunday Star Times editor Tracy Watkins joins us. Thank you so much. Yeah. How do you? Th- how good a job do you think she's done? Well, phenomenal. And I don't think you can be, I, I don't think this is an ideological thing. I don't think anyone can argue that the country has not been completely on side with this because of the very good communication that Jacinda Ardern has used. And I do say Jacinda Ardern, I don't say her government because it's just her and Grant Robertson at this stage. We're not really seeing the rest of the government. She has been so clear and the communication plan has been so clear in terms of the alert levels, the explanations about what each alert level means. People are willing to go along with all of it. It's interesting seeing there's been quite a bit of chit-chat about these legal challenges as to whether or not there was any legality behind what the government did. I don't really think that matters. If you put it to a vote, you would have most people saying, yes, they did the right thing. Yes, I agree we should have gone into lockdown. They're looking around the world, seeing countries struggling to figure out how to ever get out of lockdown. And we've got a clear plan already to do that. So I think I think the communication job has been phenomenal. The interesting thing someone sort of said to me the other day, that the way they've handled this has made a very average government look extremely competent. And I guess that's going to be the next step of this plan. If they could bring this concise and clear plan to the rest of their government program, well, the election is going to be theirs. That's the next challenge. And and the next stage of that, I guess, is going to be the budget. Can they bring that same level of clarity, that same sense of we've got a plan, we're working to it, we're sticking to it? The interesting thing is that there have been some hiccups along the way, hasn't there? There's been the the talk around lack of flu vaccinations. There's been the questions over PPE. But she's just been able to sort of almost bat those away. Well, this is an interesting thing. And I was thinking about this the other day because this is the same thing John Key had for, for much of his leadership. And it was a frustration for the press gallery. Now, for instance, with the flu vaccination, I knew they had problems with the flu vaccination because my 80-year-old mother-in-law couldn't get a flu vaccination. Weeks after the fact where they kept saying vulnerable people, elderly people are all going to get the flu vax, she kept ringing up a GP and they kept saying the country's run out. We can't give you one. So there were clearly problems. And yet the, the issue was that Jacinda Ardern said, and Ashley Bloomfield, and he's he's got that same level of political capital, even though he's a bureaucrat, not a politician. She said, no, it's not a problem. We've got them. And everyone accepted that. You know, that's the level of political capital that she's got, that people accept it, take that as truth. And it was the same thing with John Key. It was why he was so successful for so long, because the questions just became noise. And as long as he said it was okay, people thought, yeah, it's okay. It's fine. He said it's okay. It's the same issue. So yeah, there were definitely problems, but they haven't affected her credibility or political capital with voters. How do you think Simon Bridges has gone as opposition leader and leader of the National Party? (laughs) Well, I mean, it's an impossible situation that he's in. Do you sit there and say everything the government is doing, they're doing well, they're doing a good job, um, 
if you're the opposition leader, no. Even more importantly, he's almost been the only opposition because it hasn't Parliament hasn't been sitting. So so he's fulfilled a very important constitutional role. And some of the questions he's been he's been asking and some of the criticisms he's been making are quite legitimate. One of the problems though is I think it's just it's that Angriness, And I think, you know, they used to say this about, National always used to laugh about Andrew Little for that reason. They used to have a nickname for him, Angry Andy. And it's just accepted that, you know, you're not going to win elections by being an angry man all the time, you know. Uh, particularly at the moment, because I think people are looking for someone who, they want to be reassured. They want to know that there's a plan in place. They don't want to be told all the time that that everything's being done wrong because they need to put their trust in the fact that things are being done right and, and things are going to get better. Having someone telling them that it's a complete disaster and it's not being done right is not really reassuring to anyone. He's going to struggle to get people to listen to him. He came up for speech the other day. He posed some fairly constructive ideas around what could be done next, but, but are people going to listen? I think they've switched off. Whether they'll be listening in a couple of months' time when businesses are really falling over, job businesses on the rise, that's still the big unanswered question. But it's going to be hard for them to get people in the old parlance pick up the phone again. Tracy Watkins, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. America. God, it's a bit depressing watching what's happening there, huh? So it was April the 29th that the COVID death toll in the US surpassed the loss of American lives in the Vietnam War. That's 58,000 people. So that was a bit of a milestone. And now here we are 10 days later, that number's up to 75,000. But it's not the death toll alone that does my head in as I read the news from afar. It's the administrative chaos and the way the whole COVID pandemic has been funneled into that bizarre threshing machine of American politics where everything becomes polarised, everything becomes contestable and confused, even the simple science of how disinfectants kill a virus on a surface. And of course, in the age of Trump, it's been allowed to reach just unimaginable levels. I mean, Trump's brain-dead musings about injecting disinfectants seems a distant memory, but that was only 14 days ago. I guess it seems distant because there's so much other terrible stuff that has happened since. We've had men with assault rifles standing outside the governor's office in Michigan protesting against lockdowns. We've had more of those appalling daily briefings by Trump where he spouts garbage while health officials avert their eyes and shuffle their feet. We've had Trump float the idea of shutting down the task force which is trying to coordinate the nation's COVID response even as the daily death toll continues to grow. And then he changed his mind soon after, not apparently because it was a monumentally stupid, dangerous idea, but rather, he said, because he just hadn't realised how popular the task force was. Look, I guess any country can make its own judgement about how to balance short-term decimation of its elderly and vulnerable populations versus medium and long-term economic stability. But my problem isn't just with the course they're choosing to take, it's also that it's being navigated with such malevolence and dishonesty and incompetence from the very top. The most recent report that made me feel sad for the most powerful country on the planet was that the White House has blocked the publication of social distancing guidelines from the Centers for Disease Control, who, you know, know a thing or two about managing epidemics. One of the reasons, apparently, was that rules suggesting church congregations don't meet in person or that they avoid singing in groups to avoid putting the virus into the air and sharing it were seen as unwarranted attacks on religious freedom. It's maddening seeing how a terrible situation is clearly being made much, much worse than it needs to be. Today, there was a, another interesting update from the White House too, wasn't there? A member of the US military who he works at the White House reportedly is one of 
Donald Trump's personal valets. He's tested positive for coronavirus. Yeah, apparently Trump was getting regular tests already, but now those have been upped to daily. What's in the inbox, Eugene? The viruspod at stuff.co.nz email inbox, Adam. Well, this one comes from Glenn Mackle. He's a Kiwi from the Marlborough Sounds where he says he'd love to be in lockdown, but he ain't. He's in Tanzania at the moment, working at an underground coal mine. He says there's a few Kiwis who've remained behind in Tanzania. I've just checked the World Health Organization reports, and so far Tanzania has 480 cases and 18 deaths that they've told the WHO about. But Glenn's got a bit of a warning. He says Tanzania is going down the herd immunity route, and he worries the virus will soon reach the camp where he's staying. And he writes this, We don't have test kits yet, and the clinic is full with malaria cases and will not manage the scale of what is to come. I can only hope the underground dusty lungs get me through. I think I will be witness to a horrific scene in this part of the world very soon. These poor people are going to suffer. That's an extremely grim reminder of how lucky we are to be here in New Zealand, aren't we? Anyway, Glenn has got a question. If I get coronavirus and survive, how will I be able to prove I've had it for the likes of this immunity passport for the day I finally get to come home? Okay, well, if anyone knows the accurate answer to that, let us know. But off the top of my head, for now, though, there is no such thing as an immunity passport. As a Kiwi, you're entitled to come home, and if you do, you'll be in quarantine regardless. So it might be a moot point whether you've got the virus or have had the virus. Later on, if you want to show that you have had it, it may be possible to use an antibody test. But at present, it sounds like there are a lot of false positives from those tests, so they're not entirely reliable. Anyway, Glenn has a suggestion for the plague playlist. Monty Python's Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. Good on you, Glenn. We shall add that one to the list. But today, there's this. Okay, this one actually needs a little bit of explaining. Here at Coronavirus NZ, we love Jack Buchanan. First, because he wrote a country song called The Ballad of COVID-19. And then because he produced the toe-tapping family lockdown boogie, featuring the dancing skills of his sister and mum and dad and dog, with whom he's sharing lockdown at the family home in Wellington. We're stuck here in the house for the next four weeks or so. But now the Morris Buchanans have branched out even further with their entry in the VF 48 Hours film competition. So you know the 48 Hours competition. Entrants are given a genre and some compulsory elements, and then they have just 48 hours to make a movie in full from scripting to uploading it to the entry site. So the genre they got was whodunit. I'm not sure what the elements were. Any case, the result is a brief and thrilling musical in the course of which Jack's family almost tears itself apart while trying to answer that eternal question. Who stole the cookie from the cookie jar? We don't like to do spoilers, so I'm not going to say who stole the cookie from the cookie jar, but I strongly recommend you watch the full video on YouTube. There's a link in our show notes. Also, if you're listening to this Friday evening, you can catch a full hour of VF 48 Hours finalists on a special on TVNZ2 at 9.10pm this evening. Want to hear the latest from the isolation joke station? Of course. Can we shower at level two? Or do we still just wash our hands? Hey, listen to these. First one. Really highlights the alcohol problem in this country. Alcohol kills more people than any other drug, yet our country and bigger sports rely on this poison's income. Here's another one. I wonder how many casual drinkers realise that they are in fact addicts. Here's a third one. 
I drank alcohol at the same rate as normal throughout the lockdown and will not be told by some advisory group how much I should drink. Yes, I don't know if Steve's read these, but these are all reader comments on the bottom of a piece that stuff national correspondent Steve Kilcullen's recently published, uh, which is about the way we've been drinking during lockdown. And I, I guess the point that comes across in those comments is that in New Zealand, we like to drink, but we also know that alcohol comes with some some serious harms. You know, COVID-19 has sort of thrown some of our habits and the, the pros and cons of alcohol into sharp relief. Anyway, Steve, g'day. G'day. How are you both doing? Pretty good. Very well. Very well. What's the last beverage that passed your lips, Mr. Kilgallen? I did a pub quiz by uh, Google Hangout last night with um, a couple of mates who I normally do pub quiz with, and I had... Uh, two cans of Good George IPA. And was that a pleasurable experience? It was. Very pleasant. Very pleasant. One thing I've noticed as an aside, and I've been told this is true, is the, the price of beer has come down significantly during this. Um, that's, that should probably come with a public health warning, shouldn't it? Yeah, why is that? So a lot of the craft brewers have got nowhere to send their product. They have it sitting around, so they're selling it quite cheaply. So there's some really good deals online at the minute if you're willing to buy in bulk. I see. Okay, so... More generally, the way we're drinking in lockdown. Early on, the way people were talking on on Twitter, you get the impression that everyone was looking forward to slumping on the sofa with three bottles of wine a night. Is that how it's turned out? Yeah, so that would be a presumption, wouldn't it? You'd be setting out to write a story, and your hypothesis would be that we spent four weeks sitting at home getting drunk because there's nothing else to do. And yes and no, like the statistics suggest that if you were a heavy drinker already, you probably drank more. But if you weren't, you may well have drunk less. So, yeah, there's sort of co- uh, contradictory truths, I guess. So probably I think a third of – there was a, a survey by the Health Promotion Agency a couple of weeks into lockdown, and it showed that a third of New Zealanders weren't going to have a drink at all during lockdown, which is a little bit higher than usual. Um, light to moderate drinkers were drinking the same or less. Heavy drinkers were drinking more. And that tends to be reflected across the Western world, Australia, the UK, Canada – have done similar surveys showing that about 19 to 20% of people were drinking more in lockdown. And the theory is it's probably the heavier drinkers. There was a big spike in sales just before lockdown, but that's flattened out over the last four or five weeks. And actually the, the booze industry sales figures are, are quite way down now, 20 to 30% down overall. So if this is happening around the world, is anyone hypothesizing as to... I don't know, the psychology or the or, or the addiction science of, of what's going on. Why are the heavy drinkers drinking more? Why are the light drinkers drinking less? The theory around the light drinkers is that if you are thinking about making a bit of a lifestyle health change, now is a good time as any and people are out there exercising and running more. And So sales of low-carb beer have gone up massively, about 60% uh, during lockdown, which is interesting. So... Even if you are drinking, maybe you're trying to drink healthier, if that's not a... Um, it is a contradiction in terms. contradiction in terms, <laughs> that's the phrase I was searching for. Um, so if, if you were kind of minded to go that way anyway, now is a good time to do it. If you're already a heavy drinker, the chances are you are somewhere in that addiction zone and therefore you're drinking more because you've got nothing else to do. Um, so it's probably not much of a surprise. One of the things that really interested me, and this showed up with the complications with buying booze on in West Auckland, but it was determined that as a nation, the provision of booze really was an essential service, which is which is kind of interesting because you know all all the research tells us that that alcohol on balance is bad for us. Yeah, so I guess the thinking behind it was quite hard to extract MB's thinking from them, but the thinking behind it was that if you 
ban the sale of alcohol, then A, there'd be even more panic buying than we saw in the few days before lockdown, which we saw a lot of. And B, if you are addicted, then you're taking away um, at the worst possible time when there's no services around to support you, taking away the chance to keep your you know, addiction ticking over. So I think that was the reason. But in general, I think the way that we've legislatively handled alcohol during lockdown has been shambolic. So the whole online sales thing, you know, off-licenses have always had the right to sell online. I'm just not sure anyone knew that. So, of course, all the off-licenses have rushed to sell online and there's been no extra sort of provisions made by the government to sort of monitor what they're doing. So we don't know how much they're selling, who they're selling to, whether they're sticking to the hours, whether they're not selling to under-18s, and I'm sure most of them aren't, but nobody really knows. And then West Auckland was a great example of that, where in West Auckland, alcohol sales are controlled by a licensing trust who have a monopoly, so Westies can't buy from the supermarket and they can't buy in general from off-license except those owned by the trust. And the laws there changed about four times while the guidance on the law. So the handful of independents opened and closed and opened and closed. And meanwhile, you had two, three-hour queues for people to buy booze from the 10 off-licenses that were open. And for a week or so, it was the only place in the country where you could actually buy spirits in person. So people were driving from across Auckland to buy bottles of gin. It was, yeah, it was a shambles. The whole thing was a shambles. And I think... Um, probably needs a bit of a revision going forward. Um, I'm not sure we should be allowing entirely unfettered alcohol sales in the future, given the nature of harm that it comes with. And Nikki Jackson from Alcohol Health Watch made the point to me that when the the plans to legalise cannabis, they're, they're saying that they wouldn't allow for any online or remote sales of cannabis. Yet it's perfectly acceptable for alcohol. So I think if you talk to someone like Alcohol Health Watch or communities against alcohol harm, they would say that online sales should be much more controlled and there probably should be a bit more of a layer to it than simply going on a website and ticking a box saying that you're 18 years old. You know, you wouldn't accept that in a pub. You wouldn't just take the word of a teenager that they were 18. You'd look for their ID. So I think there probably should be a bit more regulatory framework around proving how old you are before you can buy a box of beers on the internet. Mm. Where did we end up with the spirits? Because that was one of the things that was driving those queues out west, wasn't it? So could you end up buying spirits online? You could. Um, so that's been the one limitation imposed is you're allowed to buy the duty-free limit of spirits. So that anomaly came about because you can't buy spirits in supermarkets, but you can buy them in bottle stores. And bottle stores weren't open, but supermarkets were. But in West Auckland, you can't buy from a supermarket, so it's a bottle store. So it is a bizarre set of circumstances, but somebody probably should have seen it coming a lot sooner. And a week down the track, it shouldn't have been up to the trusts to put their hands up and go, we'll stop selling spirits. It probably should have been the government saying, you will stop selling spirits. My concern was that, do you want hundreds of people standing in a line on a street in West Auckland when we're being told every day to keep our distance from each other? It just seemed to me like a very lucky escape that we didn't have a huge West Auckland booze cluster. So there's been some enthusiasm for boozing, but of course you said some people are drinking less. And it kind of makes sense. I guess with pubs shut, there's perhaps never been a better time to kick the habit and take up jogging and while you're at it, meditation and just generally become a better person. Which is not to say, uh, puritanical Adam, that drinking makes you a bad person, but yeah, I see your point. You've lost the social aspect. That's that's the thing for me. Like I, I have drunk during lockdown, but not to excess, but... Um, it's a social lubricant. I enjoy going to the pub to see my mates and having a beer on the couch is not anywhere near as good an experience. So I, for one, am looking forward to the reopening of my local pub. Maybe drinking booze is almost a bit like sport. You know, it's it's meant to be the national religion. But in fact, a really big part of the population just 
aren't that interested. I mean, you said even without a lockdown, 20% of the population don't drink at all. Is that, is that right? Yeah. I mean, my partner hasn't had a drink in probably three years. So I'm living with someone who doesn't drink. And yeah, I think it's a lot more widespread than we give credit for. And probably because uh, there's this natural national culture that we do drink. So if you're a non-drinker, you keep it quiet and you don't mention it. So uh, at this point, I should probably reveal that 30% of this conversation doesn't drink because I, I haven't drunk for a couple of years either. Well, there you go. Well, Eugene, you are you are a supreme athlete, so I, I <laughs> think your body is the temple approach is to be that's, applauded. That's not anyway. Um, but what about you, Adam? What are you drinking during lockdown? Well, I was going to say regretfully, but it's probably not regretfully. My drinking habits have been kind of boring, um, probably a little bit less than usual. Again, just because there's there's no social drinking going on. Actually, there has been. Two occasions when I have gathered with my Sunday morning running club, of which Steve is the founder, and we all sat there on FaceTime drinking our beers and indeed discovering that you can- On a Sunday morning? No, but no, no, no. We, we, we changed the schedule, Thanks. not Sunday morning. So this is like, <laughs> I think it was, it was a Friday night both times, wasn't it, Steve? Um, it was, it and, was. And, you know, it's a different kind of interaction. It's a socially appropriate time. We, we drank our beer. I think Graham might have been drinking uh, some kind of spirit and, and somebody might have, I don't know, somebody might have had a wine spritzer, but who, whatever. It, it, it wasn't quite the same as a run. I'd say it was a slightly inferior experience to the run, but it's still very enjoyable because this was the call where we discovered that on FaceTime you can replace your head with a dinosaur as well. And we played that drawing game on House Party until we decided the House Party was too weird. <laughs> anyway, my drink It was a deeply intellectual experience. Yeah, it, it, that, I, I've had two or three social Zoom drinking sessions and it's kind of, it's kind of all right, but frankly, it does not compare to the real experience of standing and exchanging spittle while shouting in people's faces at a pub. But um, mostly I've been just rewarding myself at the end of the day, at the workday with, you know, one wine or one beer, and that's maybe four or five days a week. So... Yeah, for me, half of the literal sort of chemical buzz of booze really only kicks in for me if I'm in a room with one or two people who I want to talk to. Lockdown's easing off. Hard to say at this point exactly how many more days we've got or what the rules are going to be. But what are we going to do once lockdown's off? Everyone's predicting that what we drink will change after lockdown. So there's already been that move to low-carb beer. The industry expecting more sales of low-alcohol and no-alcohol beer. But there's also this feeling that we're all going to be drinking a bit cheaper. That The recession is going to affect what we drink. So um, we'll be buying cheaper bottles of wine. We won't buy the high-end ones. We'll be buying um, lo- what we see as local beers, your Lions and your Steinlagers, although they're actually owned by the Japanese now, rather than your imported green bottles. So everybody's going to be picking a cheaper, lower value tipple going forward is the feeling from the industry. So in essence, as Bridget McDonald from the Alcohol Beverages Council said to me, um, no one wants to buy champagne at a time like this. And I think that's what we're going to see going forward. You're going to be buying the cheapest beer you can find. I don't know. I think there might be a little bit of cork popping going on on the day that lockdown ends. But yeah, after that, I reckon you might be right. Steve Kilgallen, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. That's the Coronavirus NZ podcast for Friday the 8th of May. I'm Adam Dudding. He's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Tracy Watkins, Steve Kilgallen, Alex Yu, Catherine George, John Hardefelt and Carol Hirschfeld. Oh, and the Lorentzen families. Isolation joke station, of course. Another week down, and it's the weekend. You can listen to the previous episodes of Coronavirus NZ on all the podcast apps and the Stuff website. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can email viruspod at stuff.co.nz. Also, there is a way to support Stuff's journalism. The company recently set up a system where you can make financial contributions via a link on the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz. 
I jinxed it last time, but I'm going to go there again. Will this be our last weekend of Level 3? V-Day.